Our squirrel monkeys, we have papaya in there. Um, we normally get Mexican papaya. It's less expensive. The squirrel monkeys will not eat Mexican papaya. Uh, well, we actually had a lion who just had a um, dental work done, so she's on a soft diet, but she's not liking her regular food. They actually called it a lion repellent. Our vulture, Jeff, prefers black bunnies. So every time I open a box, if I find a black bunny, I have to put that aside in a separate box for him because that's his preference. I'm Casey Miner, and this is The Specialist. Stacy Kyles. She works at the zoo in Oakland, California. I am the supervisor of the commissary. If you had to sum up your job in two words, what would you call it? That's interesting, two words. Maybe an animal chef would probably be the best word. Stacy's job is to plan and prepare meals for more than 600 animals and meet not just their needs, but their wants. So when she hears things like, the squirrel monkeys only want Hawaiian papaya, or Jeff the vulture has a special taste for black bunnies. I roll my eyes, and then I remember that I'm here for them, and then I just do what's needed. It's only pretty recently that feeding zoo animals has required a specialist. For a long time, animals just kind of ate what was available. Some zoos took their cue from circuses, others from agriculture. So think peanuts and hay. Animals often died of malnutrition or suffered severe vitamin deficiencies. In the 1920s and 30s, a researcher named Ellen Corson White made the first real effort to fix this problem by feeding animals at the Philadelphia Zoo a dense mix of grains and oils she called zoo cake. It was a hit, and the era of balanced diets began. Now, just as zoos have evolved to be more about conservation than display, animal diets have become, yes, more specialized. So the first two hours of the morning are mainly spent just putting the diets together. That means chopping five-gallon buckets of eggplant and celery for the elephants, using big metal loppers to cleave up pork bones for the tigers, and carefully arranging frozen mice on beds of seeds for the birds. Every animal's diet is laid out on a sheet of paper in a binder that's kept up to date with their most current likes and dislikes. Right now, Michelle's getting the pinkies and the fuzzies for the spoonbills. Michelle is Stacy's helper for the day. Spoonbills are big wading birds, kind of like storks. And pinkies and fuzzies are frozen one-day-old mice and slightly older frozen mice. And yes, those are industry terms. Incidentally, the company that provides the mice promises that they will be shipped to you frozen in such a way that they can be easily split up, meaning there are no, and I quote from the website, mouse bricks or rat blocks to pry apart at feeding time. Hyena diets look like they're done. So I will actually, you can come with me, we're going to do the camel diet. Diet is zoo speak for meal. Get my camel sheet. The zoo kitchen isn't anything fancy. There's a big steel prep table in the center, lots of buckets and Tupperware, and way more walk-in refrigerators than I'm guessing your kitchen has. There's two. One is extra large, plus a walk-in freezer. Most of what's in there is fruits and vegetables, since that's mostly what the animals eat. But there are also some real specific extras, including a cardboard box labeled, I'm not kidding, Black Bunnies for Jeff. You remember Jeff the vulture? 
Altogether, they go through 10 tons of food a month. 10 tons! Close to a third of that is just for the elephants. All in all, the whole entire zoo is about 1,000 diets a day because there's more than one feeding. Uh, I know the elephants get fed six or seven times a day. Um, the, most of the primates get fed three times a day, just like we would. They'll have their breakfast, they'll have their lunch, and then they'll have their dinner. And then I know with the chimps, they'll have their evening snack before they go to bed. One thing the chimps like, cinnamon raisin bagels. Toasted. They're pretty much like us in their foods, so the keepers are really... Um, they go out of their way to make it oatmeal. Um, I know my sister actually makes them applesauce from scratch. She works here. She's one of the lead keepers up there. So, yeah, I notice a lot of our items from home. Our Vitamix comes here to make their smoothies. Our rice cooker comes here to make them rice on occasion. Good morning. Good morning. Once all the food is prepped, we load everything into a golf cart type thing and drive it up through the main zoo to deliver it to where Stacy's sister, Danielle, and her rice cooker await. The zoo's open now, and there are kids running around, birds screeching, and monkeys singing. Driving around with all this food, I get more excited than usual to ask Danielle the question lots of radio people start their interviews with to make sure our recorders are working. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I had Cheerios with sliced bananas. What did the veterans have? Vegetables. Yeah, boring vegetables. Danielle's in another kitchen up near the baboon enclosure. And when I meet her, she's just getting ready to feed them their lunch. She's got big bowls filled with broccoli, tomatoes, celery, squash, cucumbers, carrots, and sweet potatoes. When she's done assembling those, she makes them their toys. Toilet paper tubes, empty toilet paper tubes filled with popcorn. A favorite. You know, they're in captivity. They were raised in captivity, so I just try to make it nicer for them. Remember, Danielle's the one who brings in the rice cooker and the Vitamix from her house. Sometimes she puts hot sauce in the animals' meals just to give them some extra kick. Sometimes I'll bring in flour, just plain old wheat flour, put it in a tub outside, and it's like Christmas. They just sit there eating the flour, and there's like, whoa. Their mouth's all floury, and they get some water and make some pasty wadge. It's yummy. It's yummy to them, and it's funny because I open the door, let them out. The one um, chimp male just starts screaming to let everybody know, we've got flour today. Look, there's flour. Okay, so I just need to bring them in. The kitchen is right next to the baboon's night house, where they sleep and sometimes come in for food when Danielle needs to get out into their exhibit. It's an elaborate Rube Goldberg kind of setup with elevated passageways and sliding doors that help the keepers move the baboons from place to place. They're aggressive, and she's never in the cage with them. So, you want to stay Once we're in, Danielle starts opening some gates and closing others, then handing pieces of food through the bars. And here, listeners, I must issue a disclaimer. Baby baboons are really, really, really cute. Distractingly cute. 
<laughs> they jump around and make faces and do handstands. And probably three times, Danielle had to tell me that whatever they were doing was threatening to warn me off of leaning in to coo at them because they do not look threatening. All that to say, I tried very hard to stay present and focused while recording the baby baboons, but it was not easy because they're so cute. Can you tell me their names? Um, we don't like to because people tend to yell them their names when they're out um, visiting. So, dear listeners, please don't do this. But um, Martin, Mocha, Maya, Mimi, Maud, and Maru. That's little Kabili and Krista. Once they're all inside and eating, Danielle heads outside into their enclosure to scatter more food, the vegetables and popcorn toys she was making earlier, which later the baboons will have fun foraging around for. It's an open, sloped, grassy area with scattered tree trunks and tall rocks they can climb up. We tromp around together while zoo visitors gape at us from behind the fence. It's pretty awesome. Do you feel like you have individual relationships with any of the animals, either the baboons or any of the other ones? Yes, definitely with the chimps, because we are, um, the keepers are part of their social group, um, since they are so social animals and um, close to humans. What am I trying to say? She's struggling to articulate it, but here's what I think she's getting at. If you're feeding the animals, you're a lot closer, and you have a lot more time to form a bond. Most people's daily contact with animals is dogs, cats, maybe the occasional bird or ferret. We see wild animals on TV, or yes, in zoos. Even then, though, for most of us, standing outside looking in is as close as we're going to get. Some like you more than others, and it takes a long time. People don't realize that for them to accept you. Uh, it took like almost eight years for one of them to stop grabbing me and about as much time for another one to stop spitting at me. It's a wonderful feeling, but it's, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if that answered your question. Now I will let them out. And they will run amok like they've never eaten before. Once we're done, we go in and the baboons go out but they keep coming back to the fence to see Danielle. Of course, they think I have food most of the time. Hey, Dink. This is one of our older females. I don't have anything, sweetie. I am their servant, their maid. I'm their cook. I do whatever they need. I clean up after them. I cater to what their needs are. I try and watch and see what their needs are. And do the best that I can to give it to them. The Specialist is a show about work you don't think about and the people who do it. It's edited by Julie Kane and sound designed and mixed by Seth Samuel, who also writes all our music. Special thanks in this episode to Nikki Mora, who does public affairs at the Oakland Zoo and arranged my visit with Stacy and Danielle and to writer Mary Roach, who used to do public affairs for the San Francisco Zoo and shared this behind-the-scenes tidbit. If you had a job uh, as an elephant keeper or a hippo keeper, because you were dealing with large volumes of animal feces, you were paid a little bit more money for having to deal with that. They called it a shit differential. 
The Specialist's radio home is KALW 91.7 FM in San Francisco. We're on Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you like. But if you like what you hear, please still subscribe through iTunes and write us a review. It really helps new listeners find us and new specialists, too. This is the final episode of our pilot season. Hooray! We're going to take a holiday break and come back early next year. What a good time to catch up on back episodes, tell your friends about the show, and get in touch to tell me about the specialists you know. You can find the show on Twitter at The Specialist FM. Follow me at Reed Miner, R-E-E-D-M-I-N-E-R. And of course, email me at specialistpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>